Hey, I'm Johanna Wagstaff. And hi there, I'm Rohit Joseph. And we're asking for 10 minutes of your day to go through the 10 things that the UN recommends we can all do when it comes to climate change. Please don't leave. No. And also the things (laughs) aren't new. We are just wired to not do them. We promise you to help you figure out your brains and you and your people can make better choices to combat climate change. 10 Minutes to Save the Planet is available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. All right, come on in. Get in here. It's the end of the first week of the year. And already, we have plenty to talk about. Today on the podcast, award season is about to start. Dan Levy has a new movie out. Lots to get into. The group chat is here. Let's go. I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. This is Commotion. The best season is upon us. As Moira Rose would say, it's award season. That's the season that we're in. It's the best time of the year. The Golden Globes are this Sunday. Oscar nominations are coming out this month. And after a year that has had, yes, Hollywood strikes, but also really big blockbusters, I'm excited to talk about award shows. I'm excited to talk about award show predictions. We're going to get into this and also some of the big stories this week. To do that, we got Christy Puchko, Ashley Ray, Trevor Campbell. They're all here. Christy, Ashley, Trevor, welcome to the show. How's it going, everyone? What's yeah. up? This is good. Happy New Year to all of you. This is great. Woo. Yeah, Happy New Year. Feeling good. Uh, listen, I was saying yesterday, I don't know how long I'm going to keep saying Happy New Year for, but it's certainly not going to stop this week, possibly not even next week. I don't know. I think it's going to keep going. Okay. You get a two-week window there. Thank yeah. you. That's very generous. Uh, 100%. Of That's, I'll always accept well wishes. This is it. This is, I, I like your spirits already. Okay, Ashley, I'm going to start with you about award season. Who are you rooting for this award season, Ashley? Look, I went into this a big May-December fan. I was rooting for May-December. I love the movie. You have an amazing cast, great performances, and it's just a little too weird for the mainstream. So to me, it's a perfect underdog pick. Remind, and people, I, remind people of May-December because it's a yes, movie based on... Uh, May, yeah, May-December yeah. with uh, Julianne Moore, Natalie Portman, uh, and it is about an actress who is making a movie pretty much based on the story of Mary Kay Letourneau, who uh, assaulted one of her students and later married him. And it goes into how this movie process unravels their life as it's all happening. Uh, and it's amazing. It's it's on Netflix. Uh, but then I watched The Holdovers, mm. and now I've completely changed teams. That's I'm Alexander team the Payne Holdovers. movie. Yes, Alexander Payne about a, a student and a teacher who are forced to stay in a sad, cold <laughs> Massachusetts campus together during the holidays. Uh, it also has Divine Joy Randolph, who sold it for me. And I'm so sorry, May, December, but it just swept in. And and I was like, I, this is what needs to win. And for the Golden Globes, they are in the same category, uh, even though they're both in the musical and comedy category, which <laughs> is another problem. Uh, but my two favorites are up against each other. <laughs> I, I have to say that The Holdovers is a kind of movie that just wins you over. Like it's it's there's a lot of other movies that you go like, I'm here to watch 
auteur cinema. I'm here to watch a master at work, a master of their craft doing their thing. And then you watch the holdovers and go like, I had a really good time and I felt really nice the whole way through this movie. And sometimes yeah. like that's just what you want movies to do, you know? So it's like movies as an art versus movies as a feeling. And I love the setup of those two things because I got to say, Christy, the last little while, movies as a feeling has been winning a lot more than movies as a craft. I mean, like think about like Coda, for example, that's like a movie that was up against a lot of like sort of auteur cinema, but it's a movie that made people feel so good and made people really cry. Um, and then it kind of ended up winning the day. Listen, we've already had a lot of critics awards given out. We've had, we've got a lot more to come. How are you thinking about this year's race? It's interesting because I think 2023 was actually a stupendous year for movies. Yes. Uh, it, you know, it was, oh, yeah. and it's, and like the whole Huge. way through too, which is really cool. Like Barbenheimer obviously was like enormous this summer, but then we had the fall with all these, like that's when kind of all the normal prestige movies come out. And like, it's so wild. Cause like who to root for, for me is like, not to be Miss America about it and be like, I'm rooting for everyone. Cause I'm not. <laughs> but what I'd like to see as the award season goes on is I'd like to see those awards spread around, which we're seeing in some of the critic circles where different things are taking best picture and different things are taking the top acting categories because there's so many very good movies this year yeah. that like, I want to see different things get to win. Cause like, I love personally killers of the flower moon, I think is amazing. I really, I think poor things is incredible i think barbie deserves a lot of attention um but i also don't want any of those categories those to just sweep because like it's such a cool year for cinema and like barbenheimer already like had its time had its moment yeah i'd like to see some other things getting attention during award season and kind of getting to like pull that focus and like i'm also a big made member fan uh i i think it's just like screenplay uh, like because oh. of the oscars they've just said barbie going to be adapted screenplay um very <laughs> yes. fancy because here's the thing i feel like that's sammy birch's script to lose now for may december because best original i feel like it's may december yeah and absolutely. like i love sammy birch i think her script is i think it's hilarious i think it's a very funny script and very smart in like a really twisted way and i love hearing her talk about it like yeah. look up interviews with sammy birch she has such a sharp sense of humor i want to see her oscar speech i so so badly <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely like, and then, then notably, she's the screenwriter behind Coyote versus Acme, which is that like Max movie that they were like, never mind, it's made and everything, but we like money and tax write offs. So they were just going to like dispose of it. But now they're like, maybe there's a we'll campaign, there's a campaign to like, save Coyote versus Acme. Yeah. We don't yes. know if it's going to be saved or yes. not, but yeah. Which it's like literally Wiley Kais Odie is suing Acme and a bunch of live action comedians are involved from like Will Hartful to Forte and Will Ferrell to a ton of people are involved. Google yeah. it, it's insane. But like, I love the idea that like, what if she wins the Oscar and then saves this weird movie? Like, <laughs> I want I, it. What I like is that like, you've written a whole screenplay yes. on top of the screenplay. I mean, like, <laughs> I have she's, she's going to accept the award. She's going to get on stage and she's going to put these companies on blast. And that's going to yes. be the thing that saves this movie. I want to see that movie. I really do, Christy. I believe in the movie that you just wrote just right Thank in front you. of us just now. Uh, Trevor, what about you? What, who are you rooting for? What are you watching? Yeah, I also want to see Christie's movie, so let's come back to that. <laughs> I loved May-December. I think it was incredible. Though I think what May-December does well, Elizabeth Olsen in Love and Death did better, which mm. I'll get into in a second. But for me, the big pick of the year, which no one's brought up, is Past Lives. Yeah, Celine yeah. Song's Past Lives. Talk about it. Let's go. Celine, okay, so it's across the board. Celine Song, director, screenplay, both, I think. But also I think the real sort of breakout star who is not a breakout star is Greta Lee I mean she's been on Broadway she's 
been on TV a lot. She's had amazing cameos. She's in uh, the other two for like yeah. 10 minutes and is like a standout. Yeah. But in past lives, she is so thoughtful and nuanced. And as a film, there's like on the highway of past lives, there are so many exits you can take where we're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But past lives just keeps driving. Yeah. And then the exit it finally takes, you're like, that is very interesting, but ultimately feels more human. Mm-hmm. Like, I know this story and it makes sense. I love the movie. Uh, Trevor, I have to say the final scene of Past Lives wrecked me more than, you know, most movies I've seen in the last 10 years. I mean, like, it's it's a stunning accomplishment for Celine Song. It's a stunning accomplishment for Greta Lee, um, just in terms of, like, that performance. And, and all she's doing is walking. And it feels like the longest walk that anyone has ever taken in the history of cinema. Um, but what I like, okay, what I like about this is let's go with the frame that you've introduced, Christy, this idea of maybe it's not the year where one film sweeps. We've kind of been accustomed to the sweep over the last few years, right? Um, but there's something kind of attractive to the idea of like it's award season and we're spreading the love evenly. So, so far we've named The Holdovers, which beautiful movie. We've talked about Oppenheimer and Barbie. We've talked about Past Lives. Um, I, we've talked a lot about May, December, but also like to me, like I'm thinking about um, you, Christy, you mentioned Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, American Fiction won uh, People's Choice Award here at TIFF, which has been usually a bellwether for the movie that ends up winning Best Picture at the Oscars. You know, The Color Purple um, has kind of become a fan favorite. I don't know if it's like cinematically great, but I think um, it's a movie that a lot of people will want to root for because it will make you feel that way, you know? And so when you think about all these things, Ashley, the Oscar nominations are coming out January 23rd. Who is walking away with Best Picture in your books? Uh, I really do think it's going to be Killers of the Flower Moon uh, for Best Picture. I want to think maybe the Oscars will do something a little more out there and people are going to vote for something different. But I think we're going to see variety in those like smaller supporting actor categories. And I just... Is Martin Scorsese? They're going to be like, you put a movie out, it's the best movie. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't have faith in Hollywood to be that different. <laughs> I, that's so interesting because, like, I feel that way, but about Oppenheimer. Like, okay. I feel like that's my other choice. Yeah, I'm right. Like, <laughs> like, I feel like it's going to be Oppenheimer's year because I think this is an extraordinary movie, but I think it's going to make some people feel uncomfortable in a way they don't want to deal with, frankly. Sure. And I think Scorsese might have a shot at Best Director, which I want for him because, like, I think Greta did an amazing job. I think there's a lot. Celine did an incredible job. But uh, he has one Oscar. Martin Scorsese has one Oscar. For The Departed. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. Departed's a great movie. Yeah. But, like, that's, it's it's insane. And also just the fact that, like, he is where he, like, he has been making movies this long. And he's making movies this challenging and this engaging, like, and this daring. He was like, I'm going to make a three-hour, three, like, what, three-and-a-half-hour movie about yeah. genocide. And yeah. you're going to watch it. And he is right. But I think the other hand of that is, like, Oppenheimer... I think is a little more digestible mm. in that I feel like it's a little clearer how you're supposed to feel. Yeah. And I think that plays well. I think the fact that he cast just about every character actor that exists <laughs> right now uh, helps. Yes. Um, Cause those people know a lot of people and not that it's all like a popularity game, but I mean, like I think that uh, helps you look and be like, Oh my God. And that guy, and that guy, and that guy. And like, Oppenheimer is a very big kind of movie that they like to reward it. And if they're going to reward a movie this year for like bringing audiences back. Yeah. I think it'll probably be Oppenheimer over Barbie. One, because sexism yeah. is real. And yeah. two, because the, <laughs> like the Academy kind of shrugs at comedy generally. So yeah. I think Barbie will get stuff. But I think the things yeah. Barbie is like guaranteed to win are going to be like production design related stuff. And like 
maybe supporting actor for Ryan Gosling, though he's not my pick. Mm, not my pick. Not <laughs> no. my pick either. Here's, here's my take, because okay. I think Barbie could win. What is it? It's like best... What's the new one they have for the box office? We're like uh, um, That's the Golden Globes. The they Golden Globes a has best, a box like, office category. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah box that's right. office cinema category. That's yeah, right. It's the so, Homecoming Queen Award. <laughs> <laughs> the one I want for Barbie, I want to invent a new Oscar, and I want it to be best snake eating its own tail. And it's <laughs> yeah. because... Barbie is like a Trojan horse that's also a matryoshka doll where it's like a commercial for Barbie, but a critique of a commercial for Barbie, but then another commercial for Barbie inside and it just keeps going. (laughs) Uh, It's it's absolutely mind boggling that they were kind of able to pull off both simultaneously. And I think it needs an award for that. And it's a golden snake eating its own tail. And it, it it's a different Absolutely. kind of trophy. There's entirely yeah, different right. kind of trophy. I'll I, pay for it. It's fine. <laughs> well, Trevor, I do want to pick up on the point that Christy raised here, which is that, you know, the Oscars traditionally, like, have this problem of giving a movie um, best picture. And then, like, the worst thing that could possibly happen is having people go, I've, I've never heard of that movie. I don't know what that is. I don't know where I even can find that. You know, and that happens every once in a while. And in Oppenheimer, they have the rare opportunity to go like, well, here's an auteur. Here's someone that we haven't really recognized with this particular award before. Um, But also, he has no trouble bringing audiences to the theater. He has, you know, he creates a billion dollars worth of revenue in a movie about Robert Oppenheimer. Like, it's not not an obvious victory. It's not an obvious slam dunk. But, you know, the fact that it's Christopher Nolan kind of makes it a slam dunk. So to me... Um, Oppenheimer is maybe where they're going to go. That would be where they would normally go. Do you see them putting Barbie as a Best Picture, even nominee at all? I don't know. I think it could be. I do like when something gets Best Picture that's, you know, whether or not it's a dark horse, it's something that maybe a lot of people haven't seen or haven't heard of. I remember when I was a kid and Steely Dan won a Grammy for Best Album, and I was like, uh, I'm sorry, but I've never heard Steely Dan on the radio, so I don't know what you're talking about. But then you're like, I better look into this. I better widen my horizon. Yes. So, you know, is Oppenheimer the the movie to do that? I don't know, but um, but I like that. Shake it up. I'm with Christy in that, like, it's great to see things spread out and to have um, sort of the mainstream audience's attention pointed in directions. Maybe it wasn't before. I just want to talk about actors for just a quick moment. Um, Killian Murphy, a standing performance in Oppenheimer. Uh, Paul Giamatti in, pa- in, in uh, the holdovers. Paul Giamatti in the holdovers. Incredible performance. I think that guy should absolutely take it home. Um, when I think about Margot Robbie, when I think about Fantasia Barino, um, Fantasia Barino, the color purple. Margot Robbie in, um, of course, in Barbie. Ashley, what, what are these? Which of these performances stands out for you as like, oh man, they better get this award, or I'm going to oh, throw throw a, a I, giant. For me, yeah. for me, it's Divine Joy Randolph from The Holdovers. She, yes. to me, like I said, sold me on the whole movie. I need her to win something. I think we are about to enter the era of Divine Joy. Like, I think people are finally realizing she is a leading lady. She can carry a film. She's amazing. And we've seen her in so many just, you know, supporting roles throughout the years. And finally, she had a chance to really shine. And I just need the world to appreciate it. Well, I think it's about time too. I absolutely think it's about time. Christy, do you want to, you want to throw one in before we go? 
Yeah, I do. Uh, I want to root. For, I'm rooting for Andrew Scott, which is a dark horse choice uh, because not enough people have Love seen all too. of us strangers. But yes. all of us strangers is a really beautiful, devastating movie, and I think Andrew Scott is just phenomenal in it. Um, he plays this character that I, you know, Andrew Scott, hot priest. Like that's what people know. <laughs> or yeah. from Sherlock, and he's got this like crazy kinetic energy that's like really exciting to watch. But in this movie, he like switches it off. And what? he's just like this raw nerve, this like wound. And like, it is so fascinating to watch him play something totally different, one. But two, to play a film that that feels so personal and feels like intimate in a way that I, I don't think a lot of films this year quite achieve. There's a lot of really cool films this year. But like, as far as like, took me out, All of Us Strangers is extraordinary. I'm, I I feel mm. like he's going to get overlooked for some flashier performances or yeah. for some bigger movies. But personally, I'm really rooting for All of Us Strangers to to get an acting nod there. Because I just thought Andrew Scott knocks it out of the Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Dakota Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Dakota Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Dakota Ring, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by The New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one. Uh, if folks are just joining us, my name is Elamine Abdul Mahmoud, and this is the Andrew Scott Appreciation Hour. Uh, listen, we've been talking <laughs> about this year's top contenders in terms of films. Now I want to talk about a new movie that's out on Netflix today. It's called Good Grief. Dan Levy wrote it. He directed it. He also stars in it. He plays Mark, a 38-year-old widow who goes to Paris with his friends to process the death of his husband. I want to play you guys a bit of the trailer. What do you mean I have to pick a song? It's a dating app. The song plays over a montage of pictures of you. Well, is there... Thank you. Is there an option not to? I mean, what what kind of songs do people pick? Radiohead. An awful lot of creative directors picking Radiohead. It's only been six months. He doesn't have to do this. Thank you very much. Tony Braxton, you're making me high. Works every time. <laughs> Trevor, Dan Levy said in an interview with uh, on Key with Tom Power that as a single man in his 40s, he wanted to make a love story centering friendship instead of romance. How did you feel about Good Grief? Did it work for you? Well, personally, as a single man in my 40s, just turned 40, I want to make a love story centered on my romance with a cheese plate. This is what 40-year-olds, listen. Relatable. Like, yeah, yeah, listen, I don't need friends. I want food to myself. But I think this is, Christy set us up for the perfect segue, which is like, queer people love to cry it out. Um, yeah. And Andrew Scott <laughs> helps us there. And listen, this movie, this movie's no great because, yeah. yeah, oh boy, get get ready. Um, yeah, I think, Aww. you know, obviously people know Dan Levy so well from Schitt's Creek, of course. And yeah. not that he had to make a response to that, but just knowing that he was cemented in such a specific way. I think this is a really interesting response to that in that, yes, yeah. there's so much humor and and you know, David Rose was also a very sad character in, yeah. in some ways. So you get that extension. But I think in this movie, I mean, he does so many things. He directs, he writes, he co-produces, he stars. And all of us know as creatives who work in production in some aspect, just to 
get something made like that and do all those things is a huge achievement. Yeah. And I think he shows so much range too in the first 10 or 15 minutes of the movie. You know, we have this kind of uh, quick intro bit where it sets up the story and then there's this inciting incident. And then he doesn't speak for like 10 minutes, Mm. which I think is a very interesting choice in that he gets us to trust him as a performer and a writer in a way where he's like, hey, we've we've changed channels. This is not Shit's Creek. This is going to be different. Well, I think like that idea of changing channels is a really important one because like Christy, one of the things that Dan Levy has been saying is, you know, he finished Shit's Creek. He finished the show on top um, on their own terms. And then all the roles that he kept on getting were just like David Rose, but slightly different. David Rose, but as a coworker. David Rose, but, you know, as the gay best friend. And he was like so frustrated with this that that's why he sort of decided to go out on his own and write and direct and star in this film. Uh, this is his directorial debut. What did you think of it? I am not a fan. Uh, again, sorry. Lay it on us. I know. You're not alone. I, uh, That's okay. Be brave. That's Say okay. it. Say it. And I, I, I love Shit's Creek. I think Dan Levy's really talented. But yeah. what I have, I think conceptually, Good Grief is interesting because it's mm. essentially kind of an anti-romance movie where he's like, we're going to put you in London at Christmas. Think love, actually. Think every Hallmark movie. We're going to put you in Paris, but none of this is going to be heartwarming. This is going to be like, Mm. what if the romance you thought you had wasn't what it was cracked up to be? And I like the conceit of that. Even like the whole movie looks very like Nancy Myers, like the kitchens and the sofas, everything is white and for like very wealthy people. And I appreciate the aesthetic, but like that's (laughs) kind of the thing. The aesthetic feels very borrowed to me. And I feel like if he's going to make the reversal of that, it needs to be stronger. And to me, the film overall feels very subdued. And I can understand that he's trying to move away from the broadness of Shit's Creek. I get it. Yeah. But like, it feels like tonally the film is fighting that. Because like in the clip you just played, like Ruth's lines are kind of sitcom-y. They are these humor lines that are like goofing around about like, you know, it's sure. not just the jokes, but it's like the cadence of the jokes feels like that pattern but then they're trying to push that like no but this is a, this is a drama we're doing dramas yes. and, and like it feels so forced to me that like i was so frustrated watching it because i just felt like the film is fighting like the con- the concept is fighting the tone i mm. wished it had been pushed further like we're talking about may december which is a comedy that like is very uncomfortable and like i wish the good grief would push more into those spaces but instead it's like he and I understand that he wrote this from a very personal space. And as someone who also went through a really tough grieving period recently, like I, I I get how hard it is to like communicate that to people. But something that keeps happening in this movie that I found so frustrating from a perspective of like authenticity mm. is that someone will do something emotionally immature and then immediately recognize it. And I was just like, that's. That's not, not how life how, works. Like, yeah. Right. And it just, it just Speak felt for like. yourself. I, mean, I am a very superior person and always acknowledge immediately how and why I wronged someone. But like, it's just like, it, it was frustrating to me because it's like, if you're going to try to be kind of the anti-rom-com, which I feel like the film was pushing at, like, I, I, I need there to be something sharper than what is currently in good grief. Ashley? But you, but you, you, you yeah. also had strong feelings about this movie. What, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, I absolutely agree with a lot of what Christy said. Uh, it's, it's a lot of 
telling and not showing. We don't really see this friend group outside of this moment of grief that they're experiencing. So you really never have an idea of why this friendship means so much to each other. There's a lot about like, hey, we all are making mistakes and we need to grow and mature as people. But we never really like Ruth Nega's character who has an amazing performance. We never see her really be a mess. Like at the end, she's like, say goodbye to messy me. She served (laughs) us well. And it's like, who was she? I never got to see her. Uh, Instead, what takes the place of that is a lot of monologues. It's like he thought monologues will make this serious. And, you know, so you have a lot of scenes of them all sitting at a table delivering these monologues about everything that they've gone through and been through. But we don't really see it. And so I felt like that was what I wanted. I wanted to see more depth in these friendships and and the the just issues between them rather than being told about it. And then, you know, kind of at the end being told it all worked out. We're fine. We're friends again. Um, I, I don't think that's really a spoiler. <laughs> I, I, uh, no, that's fair. I got to tell you, I was going to watch it last night. And then my wife was like, wait for me. I, we, we cannot watch it last <laughs> night, which is why I haven't seen it yet. Because because my wife and she will be listening to the show later. She's like, we don't we got it when we're watching a show that we cry to. We got to do it together. OK, we yes. got two minutes left here. Um, we're each going to go around and sort of give a little recommendation, something that you're looking forward to from 2024. Christy, 30 seconds to you. I'm going to cheat. Uh, I've seen True Detective season four. I'm not going to give spoilers. Uh, aside from, as I've warned, uh, maybe don't eat meals while watching it. It's intense. <laughs> uh, All right. But True we're Detective back to, like, and don't eat meals. Okay. Yeah. We're back to season one levels of just like, what is happening? And like, very intense. And the performances are outstanding. I'm very, like, honestly, I'm a little mad that I'm here because it means I'm not watching the rest of my screen. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> Trevor, what about you? Yeah. I'm going to say people should watch Good Grief just for the absolutely Ooh. unhinged yes. Emma Corbin cameo. Okay. It is absolutely bananas. It makes no sense. They must have been friends. You need to watch it. It is so weird. But my real recommendation is Miranda, the people's real princess, Miranda July, has a new book coming out in May of 2024 called yeah. All Fours. Everything she touches, film, books, everything is just bananas. And we love her for it. So read that. Love that. Love that. Uh, Ashley, literally 30 seconds. What about you, pal? Gotcha. I'm going to tell you to watch season two of The Curious Case of Natalia Grace. If you watched the first season of that documentary last year, it took the world by storm. And now they're back. Six episodes. They're all out on Max. It is the wildest documentary. And obviously, they're setting us up for a part three because it ends on a wild cliffhanger. So it's it's incredible. Uh, Trevor, Ashley, Christy, what I love about today is like the slightly unhinged energy in the air. I love this for all of us. (laughs) Thank you for being on the show. You guys are the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Of course, Trevor Campbell is a comedian, writer, and host of the podcast, You Made Me Queer. He's in Mexico City. Ashley Ray is a comedian, actor, and the host of the podcast, DVSA. She's in Los Angeles. Christy Puchko is a film editor at Matchable in New York City. My name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. Hey, I'm going to be here tomorrow, so I'll see you then. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.